You hear stock markets are hitting a record high and you think share prices must be soaring. But are stock markets actually hitting a record high or is the entire marketplace doing much worse than you might think? Now you hear the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting a record high and immediately your reaction is everything must be good, everything must be awesome. But what if that was only a small handful of shares that were responsible for these higher prices? Would that change anything? Would that change everything? Even today, we're going to hear the S&P 500 very likely is going to hit a new record high. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is likely to follow suit. But a very small segment of the marketplace is responsible for the vast majority of the gains. And that's true throughout history. But in the last couple of years, it has been especially true to the point that we reasonably have to ask, we reasonably have to wonder, are stock market indexes actually telling us what's, what's representative of the entire stock market itself? Because the breadth numbers, they do not look as if the stock market is surging and everything is awesome. Quite the opposite in many cases. We look beyond a very small segment at the top of the list and everything, the picture does change dramatically. I'll give you a bunch of examples here today. Start with the S&P 500 just in 2024. The S&P 500 as an index through Friday, when it hit a new record high, up a couple percent. Not a huge amount, but still continuing the rally that had been that had been ongoing for a couple of months since October. But in that couple percent gains this year to new record highs, only 190 of the 503 stocks, yes, there's 503 stocks in the index, only 190 of them are actually positive. 313 of them are negative for the year. And yes, that's a short run period of time, but that's actually one of the best cases that we've seen when we break down these indexes. When we get into longer historical periods over the last couple of years, for example, breadth actually turns even worse, as we'll see in just a moment. Most of the gains in the stock market over the last couple months, indeed the last couple of years, really since the bottom in October, 2022, has come from, I'm sure you've heard the term, the Magnificent Seven. And the Magnificent Seven are Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, Nvidia, and Tesla. People are piling into those shares and those share prices are driving the gains in the overall marketplace. How much of the rest of the market is coming along for the ride is really the question here. Because if only those seven stocks are responsible for the vast majority of the gains, what does a record high stock index actually tell us? Does it tell us anything about the entire marketplace as a whole? And therefore, can the entire marketplace as a whole give us any good fundamental insight? Because if things generally were awesome, what we would expect is that people would be taking lots of risks and NYSE participants would be searching for those next Magnificent Seven by spreading their risk out all across the board. We'd see interest in beaten up shares. We'd, be, we'd see interest in small caps and mid caps as well as large caps. We would see a lot of risk taking behavior that would drive more than just a small segment of the marketplace upward, it would drive more and more of the market upward. This is something I talked about a couple months ago, back in early November with Mike Green. Mike Green had some startling statistics to share back then. Now, some of them obviously have changed over the couple months since because share prices have gone on an extended rally and a lot of stocks that were beaten up are less beaten up today. But the overall points that he made back then absolutely do remain to this point. 
when you think about liquidity in markets, liquidity in markets doesn't scale with market cap. And understanding why is really important. This is, you know, kind of the deep dive, you know, euro dollar university sort of stuff that you guys go through all the time on the rates market. But remember how market making works in equities, right? A market maker has to decide that they're going to put up capital in order to facilitate a liquid market in an underlying security, right? They're going to buy at the, um, they're going to buy, you know, when you're trying to sell, they're going to sell when you're trying to buy, they're going to try to capture that spread. The profitability of that investment is a function of how much capital do I have to put up, how frequently do shares trade hands, right? And how volatile is the stock effectively? How wide is that bid ask spread, right? When I think about something like Apple or Microsoft, which is give or take a hundred times larger than the smallest stocks in the S&P 500 and somewhere around 10,000 times larger than the smallest stocks in the total market index, there, I can't as a market maker put up 10,000 times or a hundred times as much capital to make markets in Apple or IBM or Microsoft, right? It's just the volumes are not a hundred times higher. The bid ask tends to be even narrower. And so if anything, what I end up doing is shortchanging the capital that gets put to the largest stocks because I need to effectively raise my return on capital by allowing them to exhibit greater volatility, right? Um, and so what that means is when Vanguard goes to put those types of sums, those much larger sums into the largest stocks, it actually causes them to be affected most by this phenomenon. It's not the tiniest stocks. We do see that um, when something enters the index. We see all sorts of crazy behavior when things enter the index, Tesla in September of 2020, for example. Um, but overall, what we're actually looking at is a situation in which the largest stocks are the ones that are most systematically distorted to the upside, right? And we can actually see this in the data sets. We can see this in the behavior of assets. Um, and so, you know, when you have that bid, as you're describing it, it causes this inflation and again, causes the largest stocks to rise relative to the smaller stocks. It causes momentum to be reversed. Why? Because the next and dollar comes too, in. too, like we started out, right? People think right. stocks are incredibly safe because yep. it seems like they're the safest instrument out there. It distorts everything. Absolutely. It's hugely, hugely distortive and it's built on very flawed theories of how markets actually work. Right. So the, the entire theory that markets are information based that, you know, you and I um, discounting you know, mechanisms. Down. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's just kind of silly. Right. I mean, we actually know oh. that the history of prices is a history of transactions. It's not a history of information. Right. And it's one of the reasons why, like when you turn on the news or you, you know, nobody really does that anymore. But, you know, you get the news and it says, you know, stock market was up today because X, Y, Z. Right. And you're like, oh, my God, like. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous line of narrative I've ever seen, right? But it's backwards, we, right? The stock prices go up and then we try to figure out why. We try to construct the narrative. So even a couple months here later, all of those points that Mike raised absolutely remain. Are the big cap indexes in particular sending a very, very distorted signal about what people take to be to read as a fundamental view of economy, money, liquidity, pretty much everything. And by the way, this interview with Mike Green, part of it's available on our YouTube channel. I'll put a link to that in the description as well as I'll put the link at the end of the video. If you wanna see the full interview, and Mike had a whole lot to share, that's available and has been available to Eurodollar University members and subscribers. So if you aren't one, become one and you get 
not just the Mike Green interview, but all the rest that goes along with Eurodollar University memberships or a research subscription like the Deep Dive Analysis that goes with it too. So just over the last 52 weeks, for example, we'll stick with the Russell 2000 here because that's what Mike was talking about. But over the last 52 weeks, which have been a better set of 52 weeks than the prior 52 weeks or the prior year and a half or, or, or so, but over the last 52 weeks since January 2023, in the Russell 2000, 871 of just shy of 2,000 stocks um, were positive. The majority of stocks in the Russell 2000 are down over the last year. They're down over the last year, and the vast, vast majority are down over the last couple of years. The median return over the last 52 weeks in the Russell 2000 was just minus 6%, even though the overall index was up 4%. Now, 4% is far less than the S&P 500, obviously, but 4% is a lot better than minus 6%. But half of the stocks in the Russell 2000 are down 6% over this last year of a surging, soaring, everything is awesome, soft landing stock market. If anything, the Russell 2000, like a lot of other indexes, suggest things changed back in 2021 and they haven't really gotten better since then. And they're maybe actually getting worse when we look around other parts of the world. By comparison, just before we continue here, the median return on the S&P 500 over the last 52 weeks is plus 5%, so that's better, but the overall index over the last year is up nearly 20%. So whereas the S&P 500 index, people are gonna be talking about it as in a bull market, the, the majority of shares are only up about 5%, and more than a third of the stocks are, are actually down over the last year. Most of the gains are concentrated in just the bigger cap names. The question isn't whether that's significant. The question is, what are we really saying when we say stocks are at a record high? Are stocks actually at a record high or are too few of them at a record high? So in that sense, stock markets aren't really telling you what you think they're telling you. What they're actually telling you is, again, the beauty contest, when people are confident enough that they think that they can identify the next IBM or Amazon or whatever big name winner that's going to drive share returns over time. So we see market breadth is big. It doesn't necessarily mean the economy is doing well. It's mean, it means that investors are confident they're willing to take on enough risk to find that next big performer when knowing the vast majority of performance is going to be negative. Or, as Mike Green has pointed out repeatedly in all his brilliant work, the phenomenon of passive investing is channeling much more of the share price skew into the few big cap, biggest mega cap names, the, the Magnificent Seven and others like them. It's not even about our perception of risk. It's our, in some ways, it's a perception of the opposite. We don't want to take risk on finding the next big company because we're not really certain we're going to. So instead, we'll just plow our retirement savings into the market being a stock index. So the index doesn't necessarily tell us about the fundamentals. And over the last couple of years, the index may actually tell us even less about fundamentals than we're actually trying to figure out. That makes the stock market less of a fundamental discounting mechanism and more of maybe a casino. And a casino where all of the players at the tables are only willing to bet on sure things. It's a very different picture. Beauty is in the eye of the shareholder here. When we step back from the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial, 
We got the Russell 2000. We got other indexes that are further away from the ultra mega magnificent mega, magnificent seven and other mega caps. The, the, the situation in the stock market, the view from the stock market changes radically. S&P's mid cap 400, for example, that one, like a lot of these that we're going to go over here, that one was down in early 2022, the technical recession. And then ever since, say, the summertime of 2022, after that initial leg down, it's been sideways to slightly higher since then. But even so, it's still the S&P mid-cap 400, still a couple hundred points below the late 21, early 22 high. The Russell 2000, you see the same exact pattern. That was down pretty big during the technical recession of 2022, the surge in oil prices, all of that stuff, the inflation of the supply shock. And it too has never recovered. As Mike was pointing out, this is one of the worst bear markets across the entire stock market that nobody seems to appreciate. It has never recovered from the initial downturn. It's been mostly sideways to slightly lower since then, sometimes a little bit higher, sometimes a little bit lower. And even after this latest rally, the Russell 2000 is down almost 20% since it's high. Not only is it down almost 20%, we're talking about a period of time exceeding two years. So that's by many, any definition, any reasonable definition, changes the picture of the stock market's current position or current, current circumstances. The S&P 500 may be at a record high, but how much of the market does that actually apply to? And you look at other indexes, like the iShares Microcap Stock Index. Again, you see the same exact pattern here. Down in late 2021, early 2022, bottoms out around the middle part of 2022, the technical recession, the oil price surge, all of that stuff. But since then, microcap stocks, unlike their big cap counterparts, have been sideways to more noticeably lower ever since then. If people were feeling better about the fundamental situation in the economy, they would be looking at micro cap stocks or small cap stocks to become the next big winners. They would be putting money on these shares and they're not. They're avoiding them because the real perception from the stock market is not one in which people are willing to take a whole lot of risk. And this is also a pattern that we see repeated outside the United States. For every Nikkei index that is hitting a multi-decade high, was it a 30-some-odd year high for Japanese stocks, there are others that are more closely resembling the share price performance that we see in these other indexes in the United States stock market. For example, yes, Chinese stocks. You look at the Shanghai's uh, composite performance compared to, say, the Russell 2000, the Russell 2000 looks more like the Shanghai than it does the S&P 500. Now, there's been a bigger difference more recently where Chinese stocks in particular have been sold harshly for reasons that might be shared over time with their U.S. stock counterparts. But over the last couple of years, U.S. stocks, the vast majority of them, look more like Chinese or Hong Kong stocks than they do these winners and soaring share prices that you hear about in the financial media. The Shanghai Index... Again, same pattern, sharply lower since December of 2021, when in December 2021, China looked like it was going to be the big winner of the supply shock, all of the stuff that was moving in their direction. It seemed like they had it all going just right. And then technical recession in the United States, surge in oil prices, and it broke the entire global economy. It sent the supply shock period into its downside case. 
And of course, the Chinese, their local politics and pandemic response and everything else only added more to the mix. But essentially, it has been downhill in China. The Shanghai uh, Composite rebounded in May of June of 2022. That was the Shanghai reopening um, from the lockdowns. Then, of course, they fell again. Then the big reopening, November 22 into April of 2023. But that didn't really get very far. And really, since May of 2023, the Shanghai Composite has been increasingly heading lower, especially in January of 2024. It's down about 25% since its high. And since its recent high about a couple of years ago. Again, that's more like what we see of U.S. stock exchange. And the Hang Seng Index in Hong Kong, that's just barely above its October 2022 low, which happened to be its lowest since 2009. So what are stocks overall actually telling us? And in the last couple of years, Our stocks may be telling us a giving us more of a false sense of what everything is doing, how things are going than is usual for stock markets as a whole. And more and more, we get evidence that suggests while the S&P 500 may be hitting a record high, that is not representative of the overall share performance or the overall perception of what goes into shares to create that lack of performance. When we see stock markets in the United States, various indexes that look more like their Chinese counterparts that are really struggling right now, what does that tell us about what might be really happening beneath the headline of of record share prices in the U.S.? There's not record share prices. There's record index prices. And more and more, those indexes are are being driven by one-offs or transitory fads. What does it say that no one wants to buy beaten down U.S. stocks in the same way no one wants to buy Chinese stocks that are increasingly toxic? It says that there may be more in common here with that downside than is appreciated by the idea that the the New York Stock Exchange is absolutely soaring here. We can, in reality... You always have to take stocks with a grain of salt anyway, because the fundamental discounting that we all perceive of the stock market, that's that's a debatable at best when in history has shown it's more like the beauty contest than not. So a record S&P 500 or Dow Jones Industrial Average, rather than reassure us of the soft landing Goldilocks scenario case, might actually be reinforcing the risks that are being priced in all the rest of the market. If we're only willing to buy just a narrow slice of the U.S. stock market and unwilling to buy more, maybe better bargains, certainly better bargains if we're heading into a soft landing in the vast majority of the rest of the U.S. stock market, that is indeed telling us something, just maybe not what you hear everywhere else. The conversation I had with Mike Green, that's the video I've got linked below, or at least part of it part that we put up on YouTube. The rest of the conversation, and he had a whole lot of interesting stuff to say, that's available to Eurodollar University members and subscribers. And if you are one, I cannot thank you enough. And until next time, everyone take care.